You're listening to ReachMD, coming to you from Omnia Education Women's Health Annual Visit in Houston, Texas. I'm Dr. Stephen Cohen, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Cox, former director of gynecology and colposcopy at the Health Services, the University of California, Santa Barbara, past executive medical director of the National HPV and Cervical Cancer Prevention Resource Center, and also past president of the American Society of Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology, ASCCP. We're talking about the history of cervical screening and the rationale for incorporating HPV testing in screening, first leading to the FDA's approval of co-testing in 2002, and then to primary HPV screening in 2014. Dr. Cox, welcome to the program. Dr. Cohen, thank you for having me. Our first inquiry for you, Dr. Cox, is for nearly 60 years, cervical cancer prevention depended on screening with the pap smear. But this is changing rapidly over the last few years. How do we get from the beginning to where we are currently today? Well, it's been actually an amazing journey, as you know. Certainly the introduction of the pap in 1949 to screen for the cervical cell changes that can lead to cervical cancer is at the top of the list. And we have to remember that cervical cancer was second in both incidence and mortality for cancers in women in 1949 when the PAP was introduced. By the late 1970s, it reduced cervical cancer by about 50%, and by the 90s, about 90%. So it was really due to primarily the ability to detect cervical precancer to be treated before it goes to cancer. So, Dr. Cox, since we've done so well, or we had done so well, and the success was so great, what led to the evaluation of HPV testing as first a co-test and then a primary screen? Well, actually, the, the first thing it led to use of HPV testing in screening matter is its evaluation in the use and management of ASCA. So we need to talk about that just a bit because its first use was really in uh, management of abnormal results rather than in screening and that gave confidence for clinicians to start thinking about using it in primary screening. So the problems that began to surface in the 1980s about cytology was that it became understood that the PAP was only about 50 to 70 percent sensitive for the detection of CIM3 plus and its success really depended on very frequent uh, annual repeat, hence the tradition of repeating this annually. By the 1980s, its low sensitivity and significant subjectivity manifested by intra-observer and interlaboratory variability in the interpretation began to be understood. Additionally, the requirement for annual repeat resulted in too frequent pickup of usually transient disease. But most importantly was a 1983 discovery by Zurhausen of HPV-16 in cervical cancer. And then subsequently, others discovered up to 12 types that were also responsible for causing cervical cancer. Uh, this is such an important discovery that by 1999, the International Agency for Research on Cancer proclaimed that cervical cancer may be the first cancer to have essentially a single cause and that that cause was HPV. So maybe with that lead, you can go a little deeper into this. What was the first step that introduced HPV testing in the cervical screening and the management of abnormal cervical cytology? Well, the first step really came with the introduction of ASCUS by the Bethesda system, which changed cervical cytology reading from class 1 to 5 to cellular 
description changes that more closely were related to the abnormality going on. So that created the ASCUS category, which resulted in an addition of about 3 million more abnormal cytology results to those already being evaluated. And because many of these were colposcoped at the time, colposcopic clinics were overburdened. This led to numerous studies of ASCUS management, possibly with HPV testing, because it was clear that because ASCUS wasn't always a reflection of precancer, if we measured ASCUS with HPV, we could determine which cells were at risk and which were not. So by 2002, with the extensive NCI's ASCUS LSL triage data, it was uh, clear that we could introduce in guidelines the management of ASCUS by HPV testing as a reflex test, and then also the introduction of HPV testing in the management of some other abnormal PAP categories and post-treatment follow-up. Reflex HPV testing for ASCUS became the standard and clinicians became very used to using HPV testing. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm Dr. Stephen Cohen, and I'm speaking with Dr. Thomas Cox, former director of gynecology and colposcopy clinic, health services at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and past executive medical director of the National HPV and Cervical Cancer Prevention Resource Center. He's also past president of the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology, ASCCP. We're talking about the history of cervical screening and the rationale incorporating HPV testing into screening, first leading to the FDA's approval of co-testing in 2002, and lately leading to the HPV primary screen in 2014. So HPV became the standard in many management guidelines. When did it become part of the routine primary screen, and how did this occur when so many test positive for HPV? Yeah, the big problem in using HPV for primary screening was felt to be the fact that almost everybody gets HPV at some point in their life. But fortunately, most people are not positive at any one point in time. So a number of studies, mostly in Europe, began to look at HPV testing as a primary screen, both with and without cytology, and compared them in randomized trial to cytology. These large studies provided data that facilitated the 2003 FDA approval of HybridCapture 2 as a co-test with the PAP, and extensive data accounting for, by 2012, led the ASC, ASCCP, and ASCP primary screening guidelines that made co-testing the preferred screen for women 30 and above. Subsequently, data from the 47,000-woman Athena study led to the 2014 FDA approval of the COBOS HPV test for primary HPV screening without initial cervical cytology, and the age group for this being 25 to 65, so starting five years before HPV testing with co-testing was started. And the ASCCP SGO interim guidelines in January 2015 provided management recommendations for women screened by HPV alone. One of the questions that I have, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners have, is that co-testing, adding HPV, started at age 30, but now the primary screen, we're being told, should start at the age of 25. Could you explain the difference? There never was a large co-testing study that started at age 25. All of them really started at 30. 
it was presumed that there would be too many HPV positives below the age of 30. But in the Athena data, where the HPV testing by itself started at age 25, it became clear that despite a high number of positives at that age group, that a triage mechanism that, that really picked up those at greatest risk for precancer and cancer could be devised that would make this actually work despite the high rate of HPV positivity. So this allowed the FDA to approve this at a lower age. And the reason why this is important is that if we are screening by cytology alone, every three years up to age 30, and cytology is only 50 to 70% sensitive, we run a risk of missing a significant number of CIN3s that might be at risk of going on to cancer in the late 20s. And certainly if the late 20s is just before we start to see a, a dramatic rise in cervical cancer rates in the 30s. And in fact, in the Athena trial, a third of all the CIN3 occurred in the four years of 25 to 29, just barely more than that in the 10 years of the 30s and way more than what we see in the whole rest of a woman's life from 40 to 65. So it's important to pick up these women. HPV testing under the age of 30 offers that possibility. Well, that's very interesting. So now maybe you could tell us, we have three waves of screening women. We have the, the beginning with the cytology, we have, then we went to co-testing, and now we're talking about HPV as the primary method of, of screening. Uh, maybe you can compare and contrast, tell us the advantages and disadvantages of those three methods. The advantage of cytology is that it's probably the cheapest of all methods it is the one we all have used most of our lives, so there's the tradition of using cervical cytology. But the disadvantage is that it uses only a test that can pick up abnormal cells and has no long-term predictive value, whereas HPV testing can risk somebody. That person that is HPV negative is extremely low risk for six or more years, whereas the person that is HPV positive has certainly increased risk and can be followed better. High cytology is much less sensitive, and it is very subjective. So all of these things are an issue for cytology. Co-testing has some of the same problems as cytology in that subjectivity is still there because cytology is one half of the co-test, but there is the objectivity of HP testing and the higher sensitivity. So the two of these together produce the highest of all sensitivities, but they also create the most complex of the management algorithms because you have two tests and a number of other possibilities that increase the number of guidelines from 18 ASCCP guidelines for management to multiplied by a factor of several due to the number of variations of abnormal PAPs. So the advantage of HPV testing by itself is it uses almost half the number of tests as co-testing, so it's cheaper and it is certainly much less complex than co-testing with almost the same sensitivity. And also, the recommendation is to do it every three years, which I think is a great advantage over every five years. And it still has a higher sensitivity at three years than co-testing for five years. My concern about five years is that the longer we make the uh, distance between repeating the test, the more possibility we may lose a patient or clinicians may not know when the last screen was done and we have a greater risk of going six, seven, eight, or nine years. So now it's crystal ball time. Maybe you can tell us what you anticipate cervical cancer screening will be like 
10 or 20 years from today? I think it's likely that co-testing will very soon become standard for women 30 and above. On both the coasts of the United States, almost 90% of women are co-tested. But this combination is not that highly utilized yet in the middle part of the country. But co-testing is only 3 to 5% more sensitive than HPV testing by itself, but doubles the number of initial screening tests and has more complicated follow-up algorithms. And because of these downsides, as clinicians become increasingly secure with HPV testing, I think that the move to HPV primary screening will take place over the next 5 to 10 years. The management option in the new interim guidelines by the ACCP and SGO to manage HPV-positive PAP-negative women by 16-18 genotyping, sending 16-18 positive women immediately to colposcopy and those positive for any of the other 12 types to reflex testing by cytology, sending those with an abnormal PAP to colposcopy and normal PAPs to 12-month follow-up, resolves the concern that colposcopy clinics will be overwhelmed. Significantly increased detection of CN3 plus in the 25 to 29 year old age group will promote starting HPV primary screening at this age and moving from the five year interval recommended by co testing to the three year interval for primary HPV screening will also likely promote this screening option among clinicians. So eventually, there will be more specific markers for progression, such as P16, for instance, that measure dysregulation of the cells to identify those becoming at greatest risk for progression of cancer. So that may be available at some time in the next few years for managing HPV positives. So my final question for you today is we've ingrained the PAP, the yearly pap smear into the population and into the physician's management so well that all our patients come through a blizzard to get their pap smear up in the Northeast. So how do we allay the fears of both the clinician, the provider, and also the patient into, oh, my God, you're not doing this every year. I'm going to die of cancer. (laughs) Well, the first thing we have to do for the patient is reassure that the test that we'd be using at an extended interval is more successful at preventing cancer than cytology at the now-recommended three-year interval. And we have to realize that everything we do for women as OBGYNs and primary care individuals are providing contraceptive counseling to breast and pelvic exams and other primary women's care can include still everything important in women's health from diabetes and blood pressure screening to screening for depression, relationship counseling, sex therapy, you name it. All of this and more is just as important as always been. It's just that now we're doing the test for cervical cancer screening at the interval that most benefits the patient with the least possibility of harm. So moving from annual cervical cytology screening to every three years for primary screening with either cytology or HPV testing or five years for co-testing does not change any of this except that now cervical screening will be done at intervals best balances benefits and harms of screening. Women should still be assured that it's just as important to attend regular preventative health exams as it has always been. So I can tell my patients that this wasn't one of the Ten Commandments to have a yearly pap smear, and it's okay to go with this. I think that's what they have thought, but it's definitely not the case. (laughs) With that, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Thomas Cox. Thank you. We've been talking about the history and the rationale of new cervical screening. I'm Dr. Stephen Cohen, and you've been listening to ReachMD at the Women's Health Annual Visit from Houston. In Texas. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com featuring podcasts of this and other series.